Hello and welcome to the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. The Oregon Wine History Archive is located at Linfield University in McMinnville, Oregon, and is dedicated to preserving and sharing the Oregon wine story. This podcast shares these stories through oral history interviews we've conducted throughout the industry. Please enjoy today's episode. All right, my name is Rich Schmidt. I'm here with Meg Ruley at her home in Portland. It's December 8th, 2021. Meg, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me, Rich. Uh, first question, as you know, if you've watched an interview or two. I have. <laughs> why wine? Um, I mean, I'm sure you get this all the time, but why not or why not if I'm being really cheesy? Um, but really my love and passion of wine kind of was a, a slow build um, in my life. I never grew up really drinking wine. In my family, I grew up in upstate New York and my mom didn't drink really anything and my dad was a beer guy and he is the type of guy that he's very stuck in his ways and so he didn't experiment with a lot of beer, it was just Guinness. And so <laughs> I really didn't grow up being exposed to any wine. Um, And it really wasn't until I had studied abroad in Barcelona, Spain in college. I was a junior at the time, and that was my first real experience with wine. And I remember my parents had helped me move out there. And when I went there with my mom and dad, it was my dad's first real introduction into wine. It was my first introduction. And not only did we explore around Barcelona, but we did this tour up the Pyrenees mountains, rented a car and started staying in all these little villages. And I just remember my dad and I at the time were geeking out on wine and all the delicious table wine that you could get. And then, you know, my five months in Spain for study abroad, it was incredible. The table wines and the wines you could get at a store for three euros and they were good. And I just remember, you know, in my twenties that I was on a shoestring budget and so being able to actually try some really nice wines on my limited on my limited budget and having it be three euros at a bottle shop was unheard of and so I think that you know Spain and being in Europe for five months in my 20s was really an introduction um, into wine and also where my love of wine started wasn't really an appreciation yet because as soon as I got back to college, it was back to you know drinking crap beer and well drinks out at the bars in Boston where I went to college, and then you know didn't really explore much more of wine until 2012. So fast forward about five years, and I had gone to business school in um, at Babson College in Boston, and you know I went into business management consulting. And my husband, we got married young when we were 25, and he was in commercial banking at Wells Fargo. We were about five years into our careers, and both of us were not loving what we were doing, uh, just completely burnt out. I personally was traveling five days a week, so as a business management consultant, I would have to travel to the client sites. So Monday through Friday of every week, I was on a plane, staying in a Marriott, and I only saw my friends, I only saw my husband on the weekends, and I knew that it wasn't a career that would be able to sustain me, and I wasn't fulfilled, and neither was my husband in his line of work. And so in 2012, we decided, 
against you know all the advice <laughs> we, we decided to quit our corporate jobs at the same exact time even the same day and we and we had prepared so we had saved up money and we had kind of mapped out what we would do for our year off but we decided to quit our jobs together and travel and in doing so we traveled all of 2012 around the globe so we did about three months in South America about five months in Europe Southeast Asia for a few months, ended in Hawaii, did Australia, and I mean, long story short, it was absolutely wonderful, and I am so glad for that experience, but it was really in 2012 when we were traveling that I gained an appreciation for wine, because throughout our travels, we were, we were looking into all the destinations we wanted to visit, and we were visiting some incredible wine regions around the world. So Mendoza, Argentina, we did Umbria in Italy, we did Tuscany, and you know we were in Europe for five months, and so just getting so much exposure to all the old world wines there. And then we also hit up Hunter Valley in Australia, and we started realizing that we were planning places to visit in our next leg of our trip based on what wine regions were there and what we could explore next. And so I think that that trip was really where I gained a true passion for wine. And when we got back from our round the world trip after the year of 2012, we were both freelancing. We didn't want to go back to our corporate jobs. We didn't want to go back into corporate anything. And so we started freelancing, doing some marketing gigs here and there. And we ended up going into business together in 2015 and slowly, over these past five or six years, built our digital advertising agency, Intentional Spark. And we now have a wonderful team that we work with, a full-time team of five of us, and then some part-time contractors that we work with. And we do everything from Instagram and Facebook ads for clients to social media marketing, content marketing, um, sales funnel management, but you know, in this time, we had moved to Portland, and it was during this move that my passion for wine just increased. I think being in Oregon, you feel like you're part of something when it comes to the wine community. And for me, I, I started falling in love with Pinot Noir. I loved going to all the different bottle shops and wine bars and wineries in the area and learning as much as I could about this particular wine region because you know I had come from traveling the world and learning all about these global wine regions but then not really knowing that there was this huge scene in Oregon when we moved here and just being blown away and I remember you know when we first moved to Portland I got into um, I got connected with Little Green Pickle, their PR agency that focuses on, you know, a lot of um, the hospitality industry and food and wine. And I got connected with them because when we were traveling in 2012, we had started a travel blog that we had, you know, built up an okay audience. And we started going to a lot of media events and sponsored trips, which is why we got connected at so many great wine regions around the world. But when we, so... Fast forward, so when we moved to Oregon, we got connected to Little Green Pickle, and I started going to a bunch of their media events and their sponsored dinners and winemaker dinners and wine tours. I, I just remember of everything that I was learning in Oregon, the 
the area that I was most interested in was wine. I love going to the winemaker dinners and learning, meeting the winemakers, talking about their story, learning about the vineyards in the area. And I, I don't really remember the, the point in my time here where I was just like, I want to do wine, but it was, it was a slow build, as I said earlier. And I just remember it almost started feeling like a calling. And I started thinking about it even when I wasn't at these events or out at dinner or, you know, in the Willamette visiting a winery. And I just remember thinking, I really need to explore this industry more. And so I had signed up at the Wine and Spirit Archive with Mimi Martin to do the WSEC curriculum, just to see, just to take some courses, get a formal education, because otherwise I felt like I was just drinking. And so I was just like, I'd really like to formalize this passion and see what I can do in this industry. And so, yeah, I started taking the WSEC curriculum and in doing that, I started trying to take on any job I could in the industry and really just be a sponge and learn as much as I could. And so I worked in several tasting rooms. So my friend Elena, she runs Woven Wine Works and I worked in her tasting room down in the Pearl. I worked at Margo and Co, um, you know, doing demos. And through that, I got connected with Rex Hill and they had me come in to pour at a few of their events and in their tasting room. And then I had also signed up for Harvest at four different wineries. At the time, it was Southeast Wine Collective, Helioterra, where I met Anne, and Yamhill Valley Vineyards and Resolute Cellars. And I just, I remember I was doing all, of, I was doing the WSET curriculum and I was working in tasting rooms and doing demos. And I also had a couple tasting note consultant projects that I was doing for some small wineries in the area. And I just remember as soon as I did harvest in, I think at the time it was 2019, I was, I was hooked. I got into the winery and as soon as I stepped foot in there and got on the sorting line, I was like, oh man, it's, it's winemaking. Winemaking is what I'm interested in. And the rest is history. And now, you know, I'm launching my, my label Flip Turn Cellars very quickly. Um, don't know if I would advise starting a label this soon in anyone's wine career, but I've loved every second of it. And yeah, so that's, I know that was very long-winded, but that's the why wine question. That's an excellent answer. Well, thank you. Not, not even remotely long-winded. So, yeah. I'm, I'm, so I'm curious, as you, you mentioned, kind of going from a liking wine, the, the sort of the product, to kind of more of the, the calling to the industry. Yeah. Was along the way, what did you find the most appealing part of wine? Was it, was it the product? Was it the people? Was it the regions? What, what was it about wine that made you want to do more? Yeah, I think it's really all of those things. I... I love, I'm an extrovert, and so I love being out, meeting new people, talking, and I felt that in the wine industry, there was so much dialogue happening, and wine is a natural conversation starter. And so I loved not only hearing people's stories in the industry and learning about the vineyards that they work with and how they started up their businesses, but also just seeing their passion and having that kind of transpire in the glass and then having conversations about what we were drinking. And so really this curiosity that I didn't 
see with any other industry. I was seeing in Oregon, and also I just think that this is such a unique wine community. You know, I had been to a bunch of wine regions around the world where there was this pretension about wine, and I don't think that Oregon has that. Everyone that I have met was so excited about the work that they were doing, um, so excited about this community, and so I think a lot of it was just seeing this passion in other people that I was meeting and having these great conversations and just wanting to be a part of it beyond just a consumer. Mm -hmm. And then I also, I think the winemaking piece really appealed to me because when I was growing up, my mom and my dad, they ran a forestry company in upstate New York. And ever since I was probably seven, I would go out in the woods with my dad when he would meet with the private landowners, which were his clients and loggers. And it was, that was some of, those are some of my best days growing up is just being out in the woods with him and our, two, and our two golden retrievers at the time and being out in the woods, being in nature, you know, meeting these landowners that were so proud of their land and so thoughtful in how they wanted to um, see their land evolve in the future. And I just like, everyone was so down to earth and it was the whole manual labor type job. And, you know, I got away from it a bit when I went to business school and when I went into business management consulting. But, you know, then when I stepped foot in a winery for the first time in 2019 to work some harvest um, opportunities, I just remember just feeling kind of at home. I think the working with the hands and really seeing this process of grape to glass was something that wildly fascinated me and was so different than my day job of sitting in front of my computer and doing digital advertising and you know managing a team virtually. And so it was it was just something so different and also very familiar. Mm. And then this year meeting with vineyard owners and trying to select what grapes I was gonna be working with and being out in the vineyards with the management team and the winemakers, again, like I just, I felt more at home just because that was my upbringing and that really just kind of brought out the, the child in me mm -hmm. <laughs> in the best kind of way. <laughs> and so I think that that's what really appealed to me in in this whole industry, mm -hmm. so. Mm -hmm. So when it you mentioned uh, WSET for education and, and educating yourself that way. I'm curious about that process for you. What, uh, again, what was the, what, what did you find to be the things that made you want to keep learning more about wine and what were some of the things you learned along the way that, that sort of surprised you or were unexpected? Yeah, so WSET was an excellent path. I mean, you know, when I signed up for the classes, I didn't know what I wanted to do in the industry. I just knew that I wanted to do something. And so that was my first step into formalizing this, this love of wine. And Mimi Martin, the instructor, she's so incredible. I mean, everyone I talk to in Portland knows Mimi. And I stepped into her classroom and every single day in WSET 2, she just blew me away with her knowledge and you know, in WSET, you really learn all areas of the business. And so we did learn about winemaking, but very, you know, high level at the time. Um, and then I think it gave me an excellent background on all the different varietals around the world, all the different regions around the world. And it was, it was so, so fun and such a good learning experience. 
And then WSEP3 kicked in, and that was an intense program. I, you know, I, I have friends who do the diploma track now, and I, I know that's like getting a PhD in wine, and so that is extremely intimidating to me because WSEP3 in and of itself was a huge time commitment, and I just remember studying for the exams and all the flashcards that came about, and I think I had a, full, a, a stack of flashcards like this thick just trying to prepare for that exam, but it really did allow me to see all different areas of the industry and get a feel for what it was that I wanted to do, um, like what I was passionate about. Um, certainly, it exposed me to a lot of varietals that I had no prior experience with, and I think that's what I really enjoyed because when I moved to Oregon, I started, you know, I love Pinot, I love Chardonnay, but I felt like I was drinking a lot of that, and so, being in WSET, especially WSET 3, we were trying about 17 different wines a day in class and, you know, Rieslings and like all of these obscure varietals from around the world and just getting, learning about the different styles and how the different climates of different regions can affect, uh, you know, the, what's the finished product and the soil types and um, just, so many different areas that was really interesting from someone who was just like, I'm gonna be a sponge, I wanna learn as much as I can. I think WSET definitely, definitely gave me that experience. And then it was also great because there were so many people in that curriculum that were in the Oregon industry and in the hospitality industry. And so for me, it was a great way to connect with other people and learn about their experience in wine and talk to them about their careers and get an idea on what it was that, that I wanted to do. Not sure if that answers your question. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you mentioned starting off, starting off with the hospitality tr tasting room side of things. I'm mm -hmm. curious what your impressions were from that, from both uh, Oregon wine industry impressions and also of, of the consumers and, and what their kind of needs and, and desires were. What, what were your impressions of what the industry looked like uh, from that side? You know, I think working in the tasting rooms really, it, it was so fun just because everyone coming into these wineries, whether it was Rex Hill, whether it was Woven Wine Works, or working at events at, you know, little one-off events, everyone that came in through the doors were just so excited to learn about wine. And it really, from a customer service standpoint, was so easy. Because I'm just like, everyone's happy. This is, this is great. And, you know, also just kind of, I, I think for me, working in the tasting rooms is going to be excellent when it comes to selling my own wine because I learned how, what it is that consumers are really looking for when it comes to the story behind a winery, um, you know, the story behind a vineyard. I, I think it will really help when it comes to selling my own product. And But I, I think overall it was just, you know, my first impressions of the industry working with these tasting rooms. Um, I just remember, you know, Rex Hill, they're a fairly large brand. And I was working with Mark Smith at the time, and then also Carrie, who's the sales director over A to Z. And, you know, they're a huge winery. And I, I came in and they just have this family vibe about them. Everyone was so welcoming to me. And you really got this sense of community there. And 
just through meeting all of these people in the industry, whether it was the people that have worked at these tasting rooms or these wineries or the people coming in, I, you know, I think my initial impressions of the industry was there's a sense of community over competition and coming from the business world and in my business management uh, consulting background and then also going through business school in Boston of all places where everything is so competitive and cutthroat and everyone is going after the same jobs and you meet someone in a bar and they, their first question is, well, what do you do or what's your career? You know, it's a very, it is very competitive out on the East Coast in Boston especially. And I just remember starting to work in these tasting rooms and I was just like, oh, like the, everyone's so supportive. and. You know, all the wineries are speaking so highly of one another and when, you know, you're in the Willamette and people will come up to you in the tasting room and be like, oh, well, where should we go next? And you, know, you recommend them to your the neighboring vineyard. And it was really refreshing for me to see this shift um, and everyone kind of helping one another out. And, you know, no matter how large scale of a winery or operation someone was, they still had this small, feel to them and this uh, community-centered vibe to them, which which I loved. And, um, so I think that that was really what I took out of working in the tasting rooms and then just exposure into the region itself. So, yeah. So you mentioned the moment for you, the, the, the first harvest moment for you. Uh, tell me about, in addition to just kind of to, to it, it informing that you wanted to make wine and yeah. informing that tell me about your first impressions of harvest what what was the work like what did you do what did you enjoy about it what what do you remember from that from your first harvest i mean i the one thing that i learned is that harvest is 90 percent cleaning um that was one thing i remember when i got to the winery and in 2019 i was just taking on some random jobs on the sorting line um, and wherever they needed my help really in the cellar. And I just remember, you know, get processing grapes and getting them through the sorting line would be a couple hours of work. And then about four hours of work was the cleaning up afterward. And so I remember immediately I was like, oh, there, there's a lot, there's a lot of stuff that I didn't even, I thought it was all gonna be winemaking, but no, it's a ton of cleaning. And, you know, luckily I don't mind being a wet rat and being drenched and you know getting into fermenting bins and getting dirty and so I immediately you know through that work was just like oh this is something I actually really enjoy doing which is weird I never thought about it that way because I don't like cleaning my house or <laughs> things like that but I think as far as what you know there's so many things from the sorting line from getting wine into barrel to seeing all the different winemaking techniques like cold soaking and pressing and it all just at the time fascinated me and i think what really uh, inspired me the most is just the working with my hands being on my feet the creativity and you know winemaking really it's this interesting intersection of kind of this blue collar grit mixed in with you know, some real artist, artist work. And I, I think that so many winemakers are, are just genius in what, that they, what they do, but they're also just so tough and resilient. And I think it also is this weird, you know, the wine industry for me is one of the only industries where you see 
this close tie between Carhartts and tuxedos. And you don't really get that in other areas. And so again, the whole grape to glass process is just really what, uh, what just I fell in love with as soon as I stepped step foot in the winery. And then just the incredibly chill vibe that you get while working with everyone else in the industry. And, you know, I think now working in a custom crush facility with several other winemakers, um, it's so great to be working, you know, everyone is working on their own brands, but we are kind of a team. And so I think that that has been just really refreshing and everyone is so um, helpful and so fun to work with. And it's a lively environment. You're playing fun music in the winery. Oh, it's just, it's totally different from my day job. And where I'm sitting at my desk and everything is virtual. I'm, you know, it's funny because everyone, I feel like during COVID was saying, oh, it's such a transition for me to work from home and to not have the social life in the workplace. I'm like, I've been working from home since 2013. Like, I'm, like it's nice for me to get out and have another job that is a complete 180 from um, from my day job in the digital advertising world so so after, at the end of that harvest you, you you had the bug at this point what, yeah. what were you what, you what was your anticipation at that point what did you think was going to be the next step and, and then what and what did you do next yeah so I had met Anne um, for uh, I, I think we had talked about Anne before but Anne is the winemaker and owner of Helioterra and I had met Anne through a mutual friend in 2019. She was at a women winemakers event at this pop-up down in the Northwest. And I had met her through a mutual friend. And so this was close, or this was right before harvest. And I remember, you know, at the time I was I was in WSET2 and was just like, oh, I when I was talking to Anne, I just told her I was really interested in seeing the facility and learning as much as I could about winemaking. And she was like, well, you know, harvest is coming up, so come on down and we'll get you on the sortie line. And I um, worked, I think, two or three days with her at harvest. And like I said, this was in 2019. And I had tried her wines before. I was obsessed with her Syrah. And when I was working with her at harvest, I was just like, oh, you know, I, I love your Syrah. I would love to learn about how you make it and, and everything else. and. She was like, well, if you want, uh, you know, in 2020, if you're, if this is something you really want to continue to do, uh, you can come and shadow me and, um, you know, I can coach and mentor you. And if you want to make two barrels of your own Syrah, we can, we can talk about what that would look like. And I just remember thinking about it. And the more I thought about it, I was like, I will never get this opportunity again. This is really cool. And so it was a very quick yes. And I, and then, you know, it kind of just took off from there. And I didn't expect to be only a few years into this experience. And now, you know, here we are today and I'm launching my, my label and my first vintage. And so uh, it was entirely unexpected, but just really, so happy that she took a chance on me. And I think, you know, when we talk about the Oregon wine industry, I see that so much. It's just people reaching out, you know, saying, how can we support you? What would you like to learn? Would you like to come in? I, I have a, um, I've never done bench trials and I have a friend who's doing bench trials coming up and 
he invited me to come to his winery to help with that process. And I feel that people are just so inviting and welcoming and want to see you succeed in the industry. And same with Anne. She, you know, had me come and help during harvest and then invited me to make 50 cases of my own Syrah in her facility in 2020. And just, uh, yeah, the I'm continuing, like, my impressions, my first impressions of the industry really have not changed. If anything, they've just got stronger. Just that whole feeling of community mm-hmm. that, that we have here. And it's really, it's empowering and it continues to just blow me away with how amazing it is. Come on down, we'll put you on the sorting line. That's how they get you, you know. That's 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 that's, that's the, the t- that's the tip of the iceberg. Just come. But on. weirdly, I liked it. Even just like seeing, we had this like the shaking table, and sometimes I would get dizzy staring at the grapes, and 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 it was one of those things. There were so many days, and even in 2020 and and this harvest season, where you know you're do harvest. It's long hours. We were at the winery for 16 hours, and I just. I couldn't, there were times when I was cold, I was wet, I was, my feet hurt, I was miserable, and I remember coming home and just being like, I'm so tired, but then I'd wake up the next morning and be like, I'm ready to do, to do it again, and I, I can't tell you what I love specifically about it, I just love it, the whole, the whole everything, so, yeah. But yes, the whole, the sorting line is what got me hooked. <laughs> That's the carrot, you yeah, know. Really nice. So, so obviously, uh, 2020 was an interesting year in a lot of ways. So, before we talk about your business specifically, I'm curious about that being your kind of first year of, of doing things. So, uh, between COVID and, and between the smoke at, at harvest, 2020 was tough. So, I'm curious how that affected what you were trying to do with that kind of first year, first barrels. Uh, did anything change as a result of that, or and how did you kind of get through the year and, and through the harvest? Yeah. So I remember right when COVID kind of came about and came to the U.S. and we went into lockdown, it was halfway through my WSET 3 curriculum. And so that was really tough because everything was in person and in the classroom, which is how I learn best. Um, And also in my day job, I'm at my computer all day. And so when COVID hit and Mimi had to shut down classes for the rest of the semester in classroom and everything moved virtually, that was, it was challenging because I was like, oh man, I gotta be at my computer longer now. And you know, I don't get to talk to my peers and the tastings were interesting because we had to go pick up vials of all the different samples that we would be trying. And then we'd pick them up down at the Wine and Spirit archive and then go back home and do the tastings all virtual via Zoom. and. Mimi really made the best of a crappy situation Um, and you know we finished off the semester all virtual but that was a you know in March that definitely sucked having to transition into this unexpected uh, way of learning WSET and then at the time I had just started working at Elk Cove and I think I had maybe been in the tasting room for about two weeks when they had to shut down and they were just like look like we you just got here and I was like, I, I, I know where this is going. I'm totally cool with you letting me go. Um, and it was, yeah, I mean, just so many people were, I mean, the whole industry was turned upside down at that time. And 
I had already had arranged with Anne that I would come in and help, um, or that I would come in and learn about winemaking and kind of have her as my unofficial coach and mentor and make two barrels of Syrah alongside her. But what started happening was she really wanted to limit the amount of people that were coming into the winery during lockdown. And so as 2020 harvest started approaching, she was just like, can, can you just help me at like kind of an all hands on deck situation in the winery? Because, you know, I'm not going to be bringing on as many volunteers this year besides my family. And so I could really use your help kind of with all of my production. And so it was a weird harvest because I feel that so many harvests are all about bringing people into the winery and that community and this big joyous thing. But, you know, in the middle of a pandemic, it certainly was a different atmosphere. But I think it also, um, looking at the bright side, it allowed me a great deal of exposure into the entire production of all of her wines because it was this whole all hands on deck. And so I got to experience uh, you know, her, how to make white wines and all of her big red production and her pinots. And it was, it, I think it was a totally unexpected shift in how we worked out 2020, but it worked for the best because I did get so much experience and exposure to um, her entire facility and the wine, the winemaking process of all of her wines. And then also, I mean, it was, a really challenging year with the forest fires and I had never made wine before and so this whole idea of smoke taint and how do we how do we mitigate those risks in the winery and how do we make sure that this doesn't affect the final product um, was a learning experience that I wasn't expecting to really get exposure to in my first year but um, you know it really helped me learn different ways of making of making red wine in my Syrah. And I know that, you know, I wanted to experiment with native and wild yeast, but um, I was advised and I, from everything that I had read, you know, in, in times where, you know, there could be some possible smoke taint to, we just wanted to, for the Syrah to have a quick fermentation. And so we inoculated and, and just learning about how smoke taint can present in, different phases of the winemaking process and this, this unknown, I think was uh, really interesting, but also, you know, discouraging certainly at points and, and just talking to other people in the, in the industry and how it impacted the vineyards and their contracts and also the winemakers and their production. It was, it was wild. And then to have the pandemic on top of that, it was, um, just an insane time to get into the industry that multiple times I was like, what am I doing? Like, I, I feel like this is very, you know, this is just really, there's a lot to consider here, but I, I think overall it, um, it was a great learning experience and just seeing how winemakers were adapting in these difficult times and how vineyards were adapting in these difficult times was also just really, uh, really neat to see. Um, and, and it speaks volumes to the resiliency of the industry. And, um, and you know, I, I saw so many people come together during that time and talk through how they were handling the pandemic and their winery, how they were making ends meet. And I, I think it was just 
again, I was trying to be a sponge and learn as much as possible. And that certainly was a year to, uh, to learn all these different kinks. And uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it was interesting, but very, very fun. What was your impression of the winemaking process? Did you, did, was, it, was it what you expected? I mean, you mentioned harvest being mostly cleaning. Yeah. Was winemaking what you expected it to be or was it, was it different? Um, you know, I think through WSET, I learned the basics of the different winemaking processes from red winemaking to sparkling production and everything in between, but it was a very high level. And so for me, I don't know if there was anything unexpected that I learned. It more was a getting to apply everything that I had read in a textbook and, and see it in action and, and, you know, learn by doing. And I think all of my learning so far, and I, I don't have a formal education in wine with the exception of WSET, which doesn't really touch much on the winemaking part of the industry besides just a few diagrams that you get in a textbook of the, the winemaking process and how things go, the barrel aging and everything. You know, I don't have this formal wine education and so it was a learn by doing um, experience and I think that's how I learned best as well. But yeah, I, you know, again, I don't think there was anything unexpected. It was just all, it was all new to me. And it was really nice to, uh, I felt every day I was learning a variety of different things. I think the one thing that stood out was the intimidation around just equipment and the forklift. I got forklift certified this past August in prep for 2021 harvest. And yeah, just operating big machinery and everything there's, when you're in the winery, there's so much happening. Everyone's moving quickly. Everything, people are forklifting around you and it's it's this whole cog and it can be very overwhelming, especially as a new person coming in. And I was, you know, there are many times where I was just was like deer in headlights and, um, but yeah, it, uh, there was never, there was never a part in the process where I was like, I don't enjoy this, I think everything as hard as the days were um, i see it all as a learning opportunity and um, continue to just love it i feel like sometimes it's an abusive relationship <laughs> where there, there are these grueling days and hours but i come back the next day and i'm just like okay i'm ready again this is great i'm here um it's, it's just been a wild ride you mentioned Syrah as being kind of your, the, the, the wine of Anne's that you were especially excited about and the one you made first. Yeah. So I'm curious about how that went, how the first, the first batch of Syrah went and, uh, and what, you, what, what kind of you took away from, from the first wines you made. Yeah, so with the Syrah, I had had it a couple times just as a consumer of Anne's and I loved it. I think, you know, studying abroad in Spain, I was exposed to those bigger style reds. And so that's naturally what I gravitate towards. And when I tried her Syrah, I fell in love. And then I think, you know, also when it comes to what wines I'm making for my wine label flow term sellers, they are all inspired by the wines that I experienced during my travels. and. I just remember trying Shiraz in the Hunter Valley in Australia and falling in love with it. And that was a really fun, um, at the time when we were traveling around the world, we 
had friends that lived in Sydney, and so we went to go visit them when we were in Australia, and they took us to Hunter Valley and just was blown away by the wine region, the wines there, and so I remember when I tried Ansarah, I immediately was transported back to my time in Hunter Valley and trying the wines there, and so I think for my own wine, that really, it was really cool to take this great that I had fallen in love with through my travels and be able to work with it and make it my own. Mm-hmm. And I think as far as the 2020, when I shadowed Anne and got to learn how she made her big reds and her Syrah and learn that entire process, when I shifted into 2021, you know, right now, uh, I'm not under a coaching or mentorship program with Anne anymore. I'm a custom crush client. And so I'm now building my own brand and I'm flying on my own a bit. And so I remember thinking for 2021 that it's like, okay, so 2020 was my first time ever really setting foot in a cellar because, you know, as a harvest volunteer, you work the sorting line, you do some things here and there, but it was really 2020 where I learned the meat and potatoes of you know, winemaking. And so when I went into 2021, I didn't want to overextend myself. And so I kept my production really small this year and I kept it specific to red wine. So in 2020, I made about, or I'm making about 50 cases of Syrah or two barrels. And then for this year, I'm gonna be making Cab Sav and Cab Franc. Um, both again varietals that I'm really passionate to work about or to work with because they tie back to these memories I had from traveling and so I you know I'm going into this year making roughly between the two varietals I'm making about 200 cases so still keeping fairly small and sticking to big reds because I wanted to see this year if I could fly on my own Mm -hmm. if I could take all the principles that I learned from last year and from working under Anne and um, see what I could do now that I am kind of off on, on my own two feet. And I think I will expand in future vintages, but I just wanted to see, I wanna see if I can make some big style reds. I wanna I want see if I can do it without messing it up. And I'm gonna stay small for my first year on my own and then from there, um, see about getting more of a formalized education, getting more experience in cellars, uh, whatever that may look like. I know that's the next piece I'm trying to figure out. Um, and then learn about making different styles of wine so that I can expand my portfolio beyond just uh, a, a few key varietals that I've worked with. So. Well, let's back up just a second here to do you mentioned you, you weren't exactly expecting to start a wine brand so soon so yeah. what flipped the switch for you what made you decide to make wine commercially uh, I think a lot of it was just the practicality of it all I you know when Anne invited me to come make two barrels of Syrah in her facility again like I I had never stepped foot in a winery and so I didn't really know what two barrels even was <laughs> And so I, I said yes, and then I Googled it. Oh, that's 600 bottles. I don't know. Like I, I thought, I think I thought that it might be 50 bottles or something. And so when I figured out how much it actually was, I was like, oh, oh no. Um, I mean, it was very daunting. But then also, my husband and I, I feel that we go out a lot in Portland to dinner, to wine bars, and so 
We don't drink a ton at the house. I would say we probably have a bottle or two a week. And so just doing the math, I'm like, we will never drink all of this wine for ourselves. And, you know, my friends and family will probably drink some, but still, that's 600 bottles. And so I talked to Anne about it, and she was like, yeah, you can totally have, you know, this be a one-off year and say, I got the experience, and that was cool, and then go on your merry way, or if this is something that you really want to continue doing, then you can consider getting your commercial license. So I figure for 2020, uh, through that harvest, I would just learn as much as I could and then figure out what I wanted to do next. And no surprise, I mean, that's why I'm sitting here today. I loved, uh, I loved harvest of 2020, and I was just like, well, crap, I want to continue <laughs> doing this. And now I have 600 bottles that I'm going to be eventually trying to figure out what to do with them and then also continuing to make wine. And so, you know, again, goes back to the practicality of I, I need to start selling this because I certainly can't drink this all by myself. And also, I, you know, I think I was really proud of what I was making and I didn't want to just have that for my own consumption. I wanted to share my wine with other people just like they have shared their wine with me. and. Um, I wanted to be a part of the community and continue down this path. And so, yeah, after 2020 harvest, I was just like, well, I, I want to get my commercial license. And so went through that whole process this, uh, this past summer, right before 2021 kicked into gear, um, for harvest and got my commercial license. And I'm looking to bottle my 2020 Syrah in February with Castile bottling and probably be selling that starting in March. And again, like this is all, there's still so much unknown. I've never done the sales process of selling my own wine. And so I don't even know what that side of the industry looks like, but I don't imagine I'll dislike it. Um, <laughs> I mean, I've, I feel like through my experience in the tasting rooms and working with Margot and co um, doing demos and everything, I've seen enough of the sales side to know that it's at least, I, I know everyone says it's the hardest part of being a winemaker is selling your product, but, um, but I'm ready for the challenge. So, so tell us about the name. Flip turn. Okay. So I, it's not, hugely tied to swimming, but it kind of is. I was a competitive swimmer from when I was really little all the way through college. And so I think when I was thinking of names, Flip Turn stood out because it's just fun, quirky name that ties back to, to my swimming career. But also, you know, I think with the wine industry, it was something that has been this big unexpected turn in my life. And I never, never thought that my love of wine would turn into this, this wild ride and this career that I'm now embarking on. And I really just dove into the industry these last couple of years, no pun intended with the uh, swimming analogy. But I think for me, the flip turn really is this, this turn in my life. And it represents this unexpected path that I'm now going down. And um, it really, this, the wine industry has flipped my world upside down. And so I think that that was the reasoning behind the name. And then also I thought, I was like, flip turns, there's a, that's a fun zippy word. I feel like, um, and it speaks a lot to the type of brand that I want to have, which is fun and playful and curious and 
Uh, so the name just kind of hit all the check boxes for me and thought there would be some cool design ideas out of, out of a label with the name Flip Turn. And yeah, we'll see. Again, like I haven't sold my wine yet, so this will, it'll be interesting. You talked about being uh, out in the vineyard this year and, and working, working with growers and yeah. finding, finding box. So tell me about that process. That, that, that's something different uh, for you. What were you, what were you looking for? How did you kind of get introduced to the people you wanted to meet with? And, and how did you eventually decide what you wanted to buy and, and where and from where? Yeah. So in 2020, when I started, Anne already had a, um, a vineyard lined up out in the Yakima Valley, Oasis Vineyards that she always sources her Syrah from. And so that was kind of um, very plug and play. She was like, I have a grower. They've been wonderful to work with. Um, you know, if you like my Syrah, you're gonna, let, let's have you work with, with this vineyard. And, and I love Oasis Vineyards. Um, the vineyard manager there, Kyle, has been so wonderful to work with in 2020. And he'll randomly text me being like, how's the wine coming along? And he, He's just lovely, and so I really hope I can work, continue to work with him in the future. Um, and then in 2021, you know, I was on my own with making all of these decisions around what varietals I wanted to work with, what vineyards I wanted to work with, what regions. And I started going down the Wine Business Classifieds rabbit hole and seeing what was available both in Oregon and Washington. And I knew I really wanted to work with Cab Franc. Um, that was one of those varietals that when I traveled to Bordeaux a few years ago, it was this workhorse grape that was a part of a part of a blend. Mm -hmm. And I never really thought much of it, but I loved Bordeaux style lines. And when I got when I moved to Oregon, I and then started taking the WSEC curriculum, I started learning about Cobb Franc in um, the terms of you know the single varietal wine from the Loire Valley, but then Leah Jorgensen makes some of my favorite Cab Franc here in Oregon, and that was the first time that I had had it as a single varietal expression and not just this workhorse grape in this blend. And I just remember, so for 2021, when I was trying to figure out what grapes I wanted to work with, I immediately was like, Cab Franc. It's so, it's both aromatic, but it's spicy and funky, and that I want to play around with Cab Franc. And so I had found a, uh, a vineyard out in Walla Walla on the Oregon side that was, um, was growing Cab Franc and I got connected with them and I had that grower and everything lined up. But then in June, they emailed me saying that they had really low yields and so they had to drop a few of their contracts and that was, and that, you know, just because I was getting, I think a ton or a ton and a half, they were just like, we're so sorry, but we're gonna have to let a lot of our smaller contracts go this year and so I started scrambling and I had already started looking into my second varietal which was going to be Cab Sav and I had heard a ton about Red Mountain ABA out in Washington and just the quality of fruit coming out of that region and Anne knew um, the vineyard manager and the owners over at Kiona and she got me connected with them and so for my Cabernet, I was just like, I'm going to be meeting. I, I had booked a, a meeting with Kiona to go see their vineyard and to, um, to meet everyone working there. And I figured while well, I was going to be making the three and a half hour drive, 
was like, well, I'll go check out some other vineyards in the area because now I got to find out where I'm getting my Cab Franc from. And I had searched around in Oregon and no one seemed to have Cab Franc this year. And so I was like, well, you know, I'll, I'll look into Washington. And so I get out to Red Mountain, loved Kiona. It was such an iconic vineyard site and passed down through generations of winemakers. And it's just an extraordinary site. And you really feel... Um, just the emphasis that they have on the care and love that they give to their land. And so I immediately was just so happy to have met with their team and decided that that's where I'd be getting my Cabernet. And then when I was in the area, I had set up a meeting with um, Ray McKee, who's a winemaker at Chandler Reach, which was just right across the way from Red Mountain. So it's technically not in the Red Mountain AVA, but it's a stone throw away. I think it was a five minute drive from where Kiona was and when I w met with Ray and then the vineyard manager Ian um, they just made me feel so at home you know I told them that I was a new winemaker and they were asking me a ton of questions and vice versa and they just seemed like great people to work with and when we got out into the vineyard they had talked about how it was um, they they had just gotten into they had just taken over for the previous management team and they were trying to make the vineyard now all organic and sustainably farmed and they just had so much pride in what they were doing and i think for me um that's what's really stood out with meeting with these vineyards and selecting what vineyards i wanted to work with um you know i certainly don't single out or need to be working with vineyards that are all organic but I do love working with vineyards that are thoughtful about what they're doing and transparent. And when I ask, you know, especially being new to this industry, I'm asking a ton of questions because this is all I'm learning as I go. And so having conversations with vineyard owners that are very upfront with what they're doing and can give me all of the details and, you know, going back to having that pride, I, I think that speaks volumes to who I've decided to work with and also just the business relationship. Um, being new, I, I think I was really paranoid this year. I had a lot of questions and I already had a contract that fell through in the Walla Walla area. And so for me, going back and e being able to email people and have there be a quick response and have them thoughtfully answer my questions um, was really helpful. And so it was, um, you know, Kiona and then Chandler Reach where I got my Cobb Franc where they just were excellent business people to work with. And it put me at ease because there is so much on, this was, this whole process was new to me this year. And so um, having people that were just really easy to work with just gave me one less thing to worry about. And so, you know, it's a combination of how they're treating their land, whether it be conventional farming or organic farming, but then also just who they are as individuals and if there's that connection and that level of um, comfortability working with those people. And so I've had nothing but wonderful things to say about the whole team at Kiona and then the team at Chandler Reach and um, really excited to work with that fruit because both of those vineyards are, the fruit coming out of there is top of the line and I think as a new winemaker the fruit quality is so important I mean I think the fruit quality is important for anyone making wine but 
I, I bring it all back to the food analogy where it's really, it's a lot easier to make something good if you start with good ingredients, but it's really hard to make a good dish if you start with crappy ingredients. And so for, for being new to winemaking, I, my whole mindset is, okay, well, if I can start with really, really good quality fruit and then don't monkey around with it too much and just take what these traditional winemaking practices with minimal intervention um, and don't, don't toy around with things too much, I hopefully will be able to create a really good product. Um, and, and also I think the, you know, Red Mountain Fruit is so iconic and there's this great reputation in the industry about the Red Mountain ABA. And I knew that with working with Premier Fruit would motivate me to really just learn as much as I could, dive in and create a really great product. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's why I, I saw it all as a challenge. I'm like, okay, well, if I work with this really spectacular fruit, it's going to push me to do my absolute best in my first vintage, so. Well, tell us about the first vintage. How did, how did, how did 2021 harvest go? It was very humbling. <laughs> um, again, because I, you know, I was, this is my first year doing everything on my own. And this really was my second year stepping foot in a cellar. And so, again, I think I said this in the very beginning, it was, it's ill-advised um, to <laughs> start a wine label this soon in the process. And you know, luckily I work at a custom crush facility where there are other winemakers there um, that, you know, you feel like you're part of this team. But also I, I, I told the other winemakers, I'm like, guys, I'm, I'm new at all of this. And so if you need any help with your production, I'm happy to help with whatever you need just so I can get more exposure and repetitions into everything that happens during harvest. Um, and so it all still this year was a learning process and it's going to continue to be a learning process. And honestly, you know, if I'm doing this 10, 20 years from now, I hope that I'm still learning. Um, but this year was humbling. I think that there was a lot of, um, a lot of things colliding at once. You know, I had to make all these business decisions around um, what grapes I was gonna be working with in 2021, what vineyards I was gonna be sourcing fruit from, but also trying to figure out with my 2020 Syrah when that was going to get bottled and getting all of my supplies and packaging and certificates, everything in line to go to market with my 2020 uh, early this spring. And, and then also just learning everything in the winery from the forklift to equipment, um, purchasing barrels. It was, it was overwhelming to say the least. And, you know, I think a lot of times with my social media, I come across as being very confident and and just, you know, just happy-go-lucky. But there was multiple nights where I'd wake up in the middle of the night being like, oh, my God, did I, did I do that right? Like, what about my fermentation temps? Like, it, like it, fermentation hasn't kicked off and it's now day five. Should I be worried? Or did I add the wrong amount of nutrients into that one bin? And all of these things that, um, yeah, I was terrified of this entire year and then just forklifting. I think that was the, that was the thing that terrified me most. I, I, and I wasn't, I wasn't bad. I think I'm overly cautious with a forklift. So I'm very clunky, but I didn't damage any equipment. No, no one was harmed this year. So I consider that a win, but 
I still am very rusty in the winery. And so I think that I, I think for me, that is the one takeaway from Harvest 21 is that I just need more practice and I need more exposure and experience. And so I think as I look ahead to this next vintage, I really want to seek out an opportunity where I can work with other vineyards and other wineries at a larger scale um, and get that extra experience in the winery while also continuing my production. And so I think that that's this next piece that I'm going to figure out is what does 2020 look or 2022 look like for me and beyond. I think moving forward, I would love to get a formal education in wine. So looking at looking at Shemekdida or Linfield, uh, trying to see what courses I could take there. Also, um, I would love to work a harvest in the Southern Hemisphere and go work at a winery in New Zealand or Argentina or somewhere, but I think obviously COVID has put a pause on that for the time being. But I know that that's something that a lot of winemakers have done and it gets them extra repetitions and is something that I am in desperate need of because I think also winemaking is a very unique industry where a lot of the work happens during the harvest season and then you don't touch a lot of that equipment until a year later and so i see winemakers with 10 20 years of experience you know just still kind of being a little clunky on those first few days in the winery and here i am and i'm working the press and i'm like i've only worked a press <laughs> once in my life and here i am just like i don't know what i'm doing and so i I, I just need more practice. And so trying to figure out what opportunities are out there where I can get that exposure and also continue to grow my brand um, is the next big question, I think. So yes, 2021 was humbling beyond belief um, and it knocked me on my ass. And, um, but you know, still it's one of those things where there was days and, and nights, like so many nights where I just lost a ton of sleep trying to figure out if I did something wrong the day before or what I was going to do next and just all the things swimming around in my head. But um, I still love it at the end of the day. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of it's, it's weird when I explain it to people. I'm like, it's very challenging and it's, it, you know, it's humbled me so much, but it all I love it. And it's just, it's, yeah. A lot of emotions around around winemaking, but <laughs> overall, I I have no regrets and just really excited to see where I go in the industry from here. I don't, I don't think that's a unique perspective or position for you. I think a lot of people are like that with the emotional tie to yeah. and the like lack of explanation for why exactly. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. Uh, you mentioned Instagram earlier, obviously a uh, marketing tool that you use in your daily life as well as your business life. Tell me about uh, marketing so far for yourself and kind of in the future and, and what you've found to be successful and, and sort of how you are trying to get yourself across on, on social media. Yeah, so I have, well, I have two Instagram accounts that are in the wine industry. One of them is Barrel Dork, which is all wine education just for your everyday wine lover. and. I started that during my uh, WSET2 curriculum and for me I started up that Instagram account for a variety of reasons. I 
You know, I think for me, I was learning so much in WSET, and the best way that I learn is not only by doing, but also being able to articulate what I'm learning and sharing it with others, because I help. I think that helps me retain information really well when I'm able to talk about mm -hmm. things and put it in, you know, put it into words. And I just remember, I think my husband was getting really tired of me coming home and talking about wine. <laughs> And so, I, and he didn't say, he was very supportive the entire time, and he would listen to me ramble, but then I was just like, I need an outlet. I need something. And, you know, I had all of these friends and family members ask me questions about, you know, oh, what should I pair this, this dinner with? Or tell me about this varietal. And I was constantly talking to my friends and family and learning about their curiosities in the wine industry. And I was like, oh, it'd be fun to start an Instagram and just do some fun tutorial videos about, what I've learned, it'll not only help me learn stuff better and cement it in my brain, but I also feel like I can share some of my knowledge with my friends and family. And then also I used it as a, it's kind of an online resume. I was very intimidated when I started putting myself out there in the wine community and trying to look for jobs in the industry because I came from a heavy business background and my entire resume was software and marketing and project management and nothing to do with wine and so i knew i was people would be taking a risk by hiring me to come into their tasting room but i felt like if i could point them in a direction and be like well here's my instagram you can go see me talk about wine you'll see i'm, I'm good with customers i'll be great like, i know what i'm talking about a little bit um so i think that that's why i started barrel dork and then I just uh, continued to hear positive feedback from friends, family, random people that I had met along the way, being like, I love what you're sharing online, and it's so approachable. And I think ultimately that's what, that's what drew me into the wine world and what I want to put back into the wine world is this notion that wine isn't pretentious. And I think so many, so many people and so many people that I've talked to think that you know, they're, they're scared to ask questions about wine because they see it being this kind of snobby community. And I'm like, but it doesn't have to be. You know, wine for me is a great conversation starter. It's a, it brings people together. It's, it, I mean, who doesn't love sitting at a table with your friends, drinking wine, having great food. And I really wanted to um, create an environment where you could get goofy about wine, and it's this fun thing to learn about, and there's no such thing as a bad question or a wrong answer. And, you know, I, I do a lot of these barrel dork videos um, around different great varietals and what I've learned about them, and I botch all of these pronunciations of wine regions around the world, but I'm like, it's fun. At the end of the day, it's just, it's, you know, just every day wine education for people who love wine and want to learn more and have a, um, a way to, to gain exposure into the industry. And so I think that that's what I started building on social media for Barrel Dork, but then now with uh, starting that flip turn and getting ready to sell my first wine, put it on the market in the spring, I just started Instagram for flip turn and just, again, I think taking that same approach in how I market myself out there. And so I think for me, I want people to know this is my first vintage. This is my second year ever being in a winery and 
I'm learning and I am, you know, it's all trial and error and I want you to be a part of this process and I want to bring people in and I want it to continue to be a conversation. And so, um, you know, when I go to market my wine this spring, when I go to sell it, I, I want people to know, like, take a chance on me. I, I want you to try my wines and I, I hope that they're good enough so that you continue to come back, but um, I'm hoping that my, my story and the risks that I've taken and the people that have helped and supported me and lifted me up along the way, um, I hope that that you know, resonates with people. And yeah, I, that, so that's kind of where I see the, the brand going. And then also I want to eventually be at the point where you know five years from now I can mentor someone and I can coach someone and um, whether it be a young winemaker, another female winemaker, or someone just looking to break into the industry. Just because I've had so many people in the wine community in Oregon help me along the way that it would be really good to now give back and do the same. So uh -huh. yeah. Mm -hmm. How's our battery doing? Twenty five minutes. Okay, cool. Um on that note, you mentioned sort of the future. Let's talk about the future of, of the industry. What about the present of the industry yeah. first? So what, what does Oregon wine look like now? You're, you're, you're fairly new to it as a, as a producer, but you've been around it a little while. Uh, you mentioned that your first impressions of the industry haven't really changed much. Um, what does the Oregon wine industry look like now, and, and what does its future look like fr from your perspective? Yeah, I think <clears throat> what the wine industry now looks like to me is I've seen so many winemakers in this community start getting really fun and experimental, whether it be natural wines that they're playing around with, whether it being pet nats that they're putting on the market, experimenting with skin contact or making white wines from red varietals. Um, I, I just see there being a lot of playful experimentation with the wine industry here in Oregon while also kind of building this prestigious region and it's really interesting to see because as I talk to more winemakers I I see so many different methods coming into play and I see that being currently what is happening and I hope that it continues down that trajectory I hope that can people continue to stay playful and experiment with different funky expressions of wine and have it be that continued conversation piece in the industry, not only from people who are professionals, but also just the consumers. And I think what was really interesting to me is my husband and I in 2019 or 2018 traveled to Bordeaux for just a random, <laughs> for a random trip. And at the time I was getting interested in wine and I was like, I want to go to the Mecca. I want to go to Bordeaux. So we get to Bordeaux and we were in wine bars and going to visiting different wineries and people behind the desk or people serving us, they would just be like, oh, so where are you from? And we would just say the United States and then they would ask more questions. And as soon as we told them that we were from Oregon, shockingly, everyone was like, that's so cool. We hear so much about the Oregon. It was this, you know, I feel that when all the other times that we had traveled abroad, no one really 
like Oregon wasn't really on the map or, um, you know, when we told them about Boston, they're like, oh, that city that's close to New York. And, um, <laughs> you know, it, it was really interesting to be able to be halfway across the world and have the, one of the most prestigious wine regions in the world n see Oregon on the map. Mm -hmm. And so I think for me, that was really cool to see. And I think that Oregon is becoming increasingly popular. You're seeing it more across the U.S. and even globally on, on menus and in bottle shops, and I hope it continues that way. I think for me, I, I, want, I want it to grow in a way that maintains that small town community feel. I think, you know, so many, so many wine regions have this, um, kind of, you know, stuffiness to them, or they almost get too big for their britches. And I, I hope that the Oregon wine community stays small in its, in its vibe, um, and continues to have that community over competition feel. And I, I mean, honestly, with every, everything I know about the wine community now, I don't, I don't see it changing. I think everyone here is so fun-loving and friendly and welcoming that no matter how big we get or how uh, what the reputation is of Oregon in the future on a global scale, I hope that we're still able, and I think that we will still able to have that really cool atmosphere and, um, I don't know, just energy about, about us. And that's where I want to see it go. Mm -hmm. Is there anything that you'd like to see change in the industry or anything on the horizon that you're uh, fearful of or, or worried about? Um, I think as far as what I'm fearful of, you know, starting in 2020 in the <laughs> middle of the pandemic and forest fires, you know, obviously that is just top of mind for me and just hoping that that and climate change doesn't continue to be a concern. I, I know it will, but I... You know, I think that that's a big concern for a lot of people in the industry now, and then also how this pandemic is going to play out. Um, but no, I mean, I want to see more female winemakers come onto the scene, more young winemakers come onto the scene that are taking risks, and uh, I want to be a part of that and hopefully be able to help others like I have been helped by so many leading up to this point today. And yeah, so... I, I think my concerns are the same as so many other winemakers. Also, just as a new, as as someone new onto the scene, just trying to figure out what sales and marketing will look like for my brand, because that's a whole area of the industry that I don't know. I, I don't know what I don't know, and so that I think is my current concern: is what what that'll look like, and also, do I have thick skin? <laughs> because <laughs> just having people taste my wine and sit across the table from me and give me their honest feedback is terrifying. And I, I've tasted my wine. I mean, I think I'm biased, but I think it tastes great. But it's the whole, you know, will other people enjoy it? And will I be, will it shatter me if someone's like, I don't really want to carry your wine in my store. I don't want to put it on my menu. And so, yeah, I think that that just that whole piece of the industry that I is the next step for me is a big question mark. But again, I'm excited and curious and just we'll see where it goes. 
All right, well, that's all the questions that I have for you. Okay, is there anything great. I didn't ask that I should have? Anything we didn't cover that we should have I covered? Mean, I feel like I rambled a lot. So, uh, yeah, I, I think I'm, I'm great. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time, for yeah. your hospitality here, and for sharing your story well, with us. Thank you. Yeah, this was fun, so. Good, that's, that's what we're holding for, so. Excellent, all right. Did you get all the questions answered? We, we're all good. Good. Awesome. Okay. okay, great. Thank you so much, we'll let you off the hook. Okay. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. And thank you to all our supporters, partners, donors, and interviewees who have helped make our project a success. Be sure to check out our website at OregonWineHistoryArchive.org for more interviews, photographs, wine labels, and more. And stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you from the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield University. With a very special thank you to all the Linfield Archive students who have contributed to these oral history interviews over the years.